Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody here this morning. Appreciate your presence. We are in... Oh, hold on. Let me... I have to stop that thing. The, uh... There we go. The uh, PowerPoint thing kind of takes over the screen. So. so we are in Revelation chapter 21 this morning. Um, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses, though. We really did look at verse one last week, so we're going to start with verse two. That's Revelation chapter 21. Before we get started this morning, if you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, Father. We acknowledge you as, as our creator, as the creator of this universe, Father. We praise you and thank you. We Thank you for our Lord, our King. We know that you will be our King and our Judge, and you are in all ways responsible for all our blessings, Father, that you give us everything we have here on this earth. We thank you and praise you for all that, Father. We thank you for the eternity to come that you promised us that if we will remain faithful, we will be able to have and be with you, Father. We praise you and thank you for all those blessings we ask that you would lead and guide us in your word, Father. Help us to remain strong and courageous and faithful to you, Father, to the end. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, looking at Revelation chapter 21, we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 8. I know we looked at the first verse last week, but we'll just start here again. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Pardon me. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We looked at the first few questions there, and we're actually down on question four. So question four, what did John see coming down out of heaven from God? Thank you. Got a big clue on the screen here, right? The, the New Jerusalem, right? That's what he saw coming down from heaven. The holy city, New Jerusalem, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. 
If we think about that for a moment, now the city is being called a bride, right? But that's I relate that and think of that because of the fact that we're we're going to be the citizens of that city, right? The body of Christ. The, we're going to be the bride. We're going to be the citizens of that city. So it it kind of makes sense. At first, it may sound a little odd to call a city the bride, but it kind of makes sense when you relate that to to us back to us. Do you have something? There's a number number of times in the book uh, where they're sort of surprised. Like I think there's earlier in the book where he he turns to see the voice and then and then with lamb or something. <laughs> like, yes. Like you don't normally look to see a sound, you know. We're surprised, and so here it's sort of like this: Is it a city or is it a bride? And the answer is yes. It's just yes. Like a mixture of things. It is. It's like a combination of things. It is the city, but it's also our city. It's where we're supposed to be with God. That's the whole idea. And I'll probably mention that a zillion times. This is the city where we're supposed to be with God. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is the plan. So, if we look at. Uh, Wait, did anybody have anything else on that? Yes, Dan. Well, when Christ comes back, we're supposed to be his bride, and, that, and this is our dwelling place, which would be the city. Right. So they don't say that, but that's what that would be. Right. And that, that's the implication, right? This this is going to be our city where we will dwell, and that, and you know, so it's associated with the bride, or it's the city of the bride, and so there's that. Yes, Matt? We could maybe bring in the imagery, too, of uh, how we're being built up like living stones for the temple of God. Right. And so it's the sense in which you know, we are part of the temple of God, and this sort of represents the temple of God. It's a, a cube, as we'll talk more yes, about. Yes, it is a cube. The Holy of Holies is a cube, so it all kind of fits together that we're, right. you know, this is for us. And it is kind of like that, because we're going to talk about that, too, as far as, like, us being stones to build up this temple of God, being living stones. And we're going to see a representation of that in, in the foundation and in the way this structure is talked about as we go down through the through the verses. So if we look at um, question number five, so what is said about the dwelling of God? Well, if we look at the verse, right, it says the tabernacle of God is with men. I'm sorry, did you have something? No, okay. Um, he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And this is something, like I said, I'll probably say a lot, but this is the promised restoration that we will be with God. Here we're going to be with God as we should be. This is the plan. This was this was always the plan. This is what we lost in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and were removed from the the garden. There's a there's a similar account of a, a there's a vision, a similar vision account, but it's much bigger. If you look in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, it's a vision of a new city and a new temple, and there's some relationship with this, though. That's, you know, uh, that's there's some other things mentioned there that are different because they were in captivity, and it was supposed to be also about God bringing them out of captivity. So there's, I guess, what kind of layered meanings to that, and how this might, how that might reflect on this as well. But if we look at Exodus chapter 29, verse 46. 
And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God, or I am Yahweh their God. Um, here, he's plainly stating his intent. That was his intent back then. That's his intent now. That's his intent in the future. Um, Ezekiel chapter 43, verse 7. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, they nor their kings by their harlotry or with the carcasses of their kings on their high places. And those high places, that, that again relates to where they would go and have this idolatry and commit these religious, uh, what, sacrileges or blasphemy with other idols, gods. Yes. Yes. At that time, after he made Adam and Eve, it talked about God walking in the cool of the day with yep. them. And yeah. God has always done that as a primary focus. He wants to be with his people. He wants to. God wants to be with his people, right? He wants to have fellowship with us. Yes. And we see that all the way through life. We see that. Right. That's the that's all through the Bible, through the whole every story, God wants to be with us and have a relationship with us. And that starts even back in Genesis. Yes, Matt. And to build on what Tim's saying, one could argue that the Garden of Eden was in a sense a temple um, mm -hmm. of God, a place where God dwelled with man, like, right. like what we're reading now. And in fact the all of the garden imagery is really replicated in Solomon's temple with the palm trees and all the decorations and the flowers that were all part of the oh, okay. decoration. Uh, but of course, that's a physical temple. Right. The garden Eden was, you know, a garden, a place where they were, and that now it comes full circle where there's no temple. It's, we're just there with God. Right. We're just going to be there with God where there's no physical man-made temple or anything of that nature. Right. But, but there, but the idea is that we'll be there with God and that it will, I guess the, the real temple will be complete in the sense that we will be there with him and, and him with us as our God, our King, our Lord. But yeah, going back, the, if, you, if you look at Genesis, look at how much time God spent with Adam, named all the animals, you know, just in that. So in, in the other things maybe this, that are not mentioned, and then he came down in the cool of the day, that was like a... That is written like that was just a habit. That was just something he did. He just came down to spend time. And who wouldn't spend time with their children, right? So, did you have something else? Yes. It's always been interesting to me that it was always cool of the day. Because we think about, oh, well, when it cools off later today, I want to go outside and go for a walk. And yeah. How pleasant that time of the day is when you don't have that scorching heat on you. And even God knew that that was just a very ideal time, time-wise, you know. It was the perfect time right. to reconnect with them. And all the way through, we just see that God wants that restored. Right, a cool, pleasant time of the day to get together and, and, and have that relationship and 
Yeah, and discuss those things and, and teaching moments and all of those things. Yes, Matt? I, I can't really resist thinking more about that Genesis 3.8 where it talks about the cool of the day, that that, that word for cool is, is often translated spirit. It's, it's that. Oh. <laughs> so you think about that, that we see God's Holy Spirit in there, that there's something that has having to do with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the cool, the cool, the word used yeah. for cool there is also translated spirit okay okay so yeah so it's a good spiritual time then okay that that i hadn't seen that so that's cool um does anybody have anything else on that all right um i have okay i had another reference here which it kind of got me on a tangent so if you'll bear with me if we look at ezekiel chapter 48 verse 35 um again like i said there's this description from 40 to 48 of this new city and new temple and here we have verse 35 of Ezekiel chapter 48 all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is here and I have this fascination of, of late with things like this where it mentions the name of God and and the idea is this is Yahweh Sham or some say Shammah and to understand the meaning of this, this is this is this kind of goes with the name of Jerusalem in Hebrew. And Hebrew uh, Jerusalem basically has two main parts. Uh, the second part is the Shalim. I'm just going to pronounce it as best I can, which means completeness or wholeness. Um, and so the word Shalom, peace, comes from that word. And because, you know, the idea is that peace uh, requires completeness and wholeness. And Jerusalem is supposed to be a place of completeness and wholeness because it's supposed to be the dwelling place of God. So if you look at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3, Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. And the first part of Jerusalem is something like Yeru. We, we, we come up with Jerusalem and it's Yeru the way they have it here. But, and it can mean, it means like they will see or they will feel or they will experience. And then if you pair that with the second part, they will experience completeness, wholeness with God. That was the idea behind that name. And so, you know, the, the completeness and the wholeness, of course, is referring to that being with God. So, and in this new Jerusalem, that's when I, it's going to be a new Jerusalem. Again, we're supposed to experience and have that wholeness and completeness with God. So that was my tangent that it got off on there. So, uh, yes. I like your tangent. It's interesting because don't we want to meet where the Lord is? Because right. The Lord says, Right, yes, we would, right? Right. Yeah, we would want to be where the Lord is, so it, it makes sense that we would want to be there, and that that's a, actually a good name for that. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right. Okay, so if we look at question six, it says, what will God do? That's our question. Pretty easy question, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, 
And then there's a second part of that question, what shall be no more? And no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying or pain. And you can relate this back to, you may, you may remember this verse, or that may remind you of this verse in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. So, and then there's probably other verses that, but that was one that, that I saw that, that reminded me of. If we look at the next question, question seven, what did the one on the throne say to John in verse five? He says, yes. Yeah. I, behold, I make all things new. And he says, right, for these words are true and beautiful. I think these are meant to be encouraging. These are meant to really bolster our faith and let us know that that reward that we have to look forward to. All of this is very much an encouragement to us. So, let's see. Um, it might also remind you of Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that, that kind of reminded me because of our, we, we've had some talks about how, you know, if you look at Israel in the Middle East, that area of the world, it's not really a green, lush part of the world, right? So this kind of reminded me of that, the fact that God is going to make that a wonderful place, a great place. So, because we do live in a much greener area of the world, you know, much more lush. Yes. And then making things new, you probably take that different ways, you know. Thinking about a temple or building a new temple because the earth's destroyed, building a new temple out of stones or all that. But yeah. no, it's new like the beginning. We're starting the whole thing over like Garden of Eden. New. Right. New. <laughs> yeah, that, that because this is a new earth, right, and a new heaven. So, yes, everything is new. And, yeah, I mean, it's hard to even envision, I guess, how great that will and wonderful that will be. Remember we talked before, too, there's, there's no sea. There's no scary, horrible place. You know, all the bad things have been done away with. So, and then actually we'll mention some more about that type of thing too. Does anybody have anything else on that? All right, so question eight, what did he say in verse six? And they have three things listed, so just to warn you. Well, he says, it is done, right? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. So first, I have kind of just an open-ended question here. So what is done here? It is done. I have my own ideas, but I just want to, you well, know, that. My translation says they are done. Oh, okay. I did not see that. I saw... I. Uh, no, no, I did not see that. That's interesting. He said that his translation says they are done. So if you have, is that the, the legacy standard? Okay. So if you have a different translation, you might see it. Did you have something, Jane? Okay. That's fine. So, anyway. 
all this new creation? Right. I'm thinking this is what he's referring to is like this new creation, the restoration. It is done. That plan that has been going on since for us since the beginning. That plan that's been going on, it is finished. This is the culmination of everything. We will be with God. That's how I was taking that. That's how I was reading that. We are restored to an Eden-like relationship with God. So, and then we have this about the fountain of the water of life. You know, God will fully satisfy us and provide for us. He already provides for us, but he will continue to do so. This is just going to be a different, um, a different thing, a new thing. Yes. In this context where he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I think we've seen that before. We've talked yes. about you know, God is eternal and these ideas, God's everything. But I think maybe here in this context, he's screaming out to us what we've been already talking about. The Garden of Eden, the beginning yes. and the end. This stuff we're talking about now, he's like, this, see? we want to see this pattern here. Right. That's a, that's a great connection to make. Is like, this is when he's saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Well... The beginning was with Eden, and the end is going to be back with God in this new new city, this new heaven, and this new earth. So again, that restoration saying the beginning and the end. We're, we're getting back to that. Yes. Because in the beginning, we see the tree of life. Yes. And we don't see it again until... We, yeah. We don't see the... We see the tree of life in the garden, right? In the garden of Eden. And then we don't see it again until the end here until we're back in the new city and all the all the other stuff death and sin and all that is put away it's done away with so all right um let's see so if we look at question nine i'm sorry did anyone have anything else okay so if we look at question nine what is promised to those who overcome Right. There's that victory in Christ. There's he shall inherit all things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. Right. And again, just because it's using the male pronouns, we know that that's just the way they they spoke. That still involves everyone. So don't get don't get too hung up on that. That's just the way the language is or was. Uh, but nonetheless, um <clears throat> This harkens kind of back to, or what does it remind you of? Does it remind you of anything from earlier? Yes. Right. Right, because this is still all part of the message to the churches, and, and here he's gone back and he's kind of reminding us. He's saying, um, let, me, let me flip back so I read the verse correctly. Who knows what I'll say if I try to do it from memory. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Um, that harkens back to those letters where he says, you know, he who overcomes will have these blessings, these different things. Yes. So I looked it up. It's actually more specific. <laughs> to go back to Revelation 2.7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, 
I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Well, the paradise of God. That's exactly what we're talking about. We were talking about the tree of life in here. He says that's in Revelation 2, 7. Let me read that because that's a, that's a good one for us to be reminded of. I have Revelation here. I try to be prepared. All right. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Again, we're going from the beginning with the paradise of God in Eden to the end, the new Jerusalem, again, the paradise with God. So, and that, that's from like the, the first, well, I don't know if that's the very first. I think that is the very first. That's from the, the first letter there. But, uh, he had different but similar statements to, to the different churches. And that's what this reminded me of was this, you know, to he who overcomes, there will be these blessings. And let's see. Um, let's see. Yeah. So this is another, another promise for being faithful. Now, does anybody have anything else on that? Okay, if we look at question 10, who shall have their part in the lake of fire or in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone? I'll try to read that correctly. And they gave a laundry list, right? Yeah. Basically unrighteous people. Basically unrighteous or sinful people or unbelieving people. Now, and what is this called? There was a, there's another reference to that, of course. What is this called? We call it the second death. Thank you. Yes, we call it the second death. Now, I was curious, and I don't know if, <laughs> every now and then, like again, I, I had kind of a tangent, and I was wondering, this, this list, I wanted to know more about what these mean, because cowardly, I thought, well, just because someone's a little afraid, I mean, we all get afraid sometimes, right? And, and rightfully so. Fear can be a good thing, right? It, it keeps you from doing something dumb and hurting yourself. So, but that's not what cowardly means in this case. I was going through these words and trying to see what each of them are. A few of them are exactly like what you think and you're not surprised. But like cowardly, this would be someone who's afraid to stand really for God. Their fear overwhelms their faith, and they have no faith. They don't stand up to even, say, the peer pressure in the world that we have even in our society, which is not that great compared to the persecution these churches were going through, some of them were going through. But still, there's that. So the cowardly is not just someone who's fearful, but they're, they're feel, fearful to the point that they let that override their faith, and they don't stand for God. The unbelieving, well, the unbelieving are people who, it's pretty much like what you would think. They reject God. They, they don't believe in God. They think we are foolish. And some of them are just unconvinced, which that kind of puts the burden on us a little bit to try to convince them, right? Just because they're unconvinced doesn't mean they're totally against the idea. They're just not convinced. So something to think about there. Then there's the abominable. Now, this is actually a verb. It's not really a noun. So it's translated here as abominable, but it really is more like those who become abominable or practice um, detestable and horrible things. They make themselves detestable. And there's another idea that they make themselves 
have a stench or, a, you know, just something that just turns you away from them. Um, so they are abhorrent. It's something that you would, yeah, it's something you would reflexively, like if you just, well, like a skunk. Don't you just instantly, you're kind of like, oh, I need, to, I need to get out of here or, or, you know, something. If you hit a smell that's really strong and terrible like that, um, you know, you, you have that reflexive action to get away from it. Murderers, that's, that's straightforward, murderers. Um, now, some translations will say immoral, and some will say sexually immoral. But the word here is really more sexually immoral. Uh, the Greek word used is pornos, which still comes from that, that word pornea, which still relates to what we call pornography today. So it's sexually immoral things. Uh, there's also a connotation of the word relating to a prostitute, but in this sense, it's being used as relating to just in general, different sexual immoralities. So we want to be aware of that. And then sorcerers. Now, a lot of times when the Bible is talking about sorcerers, um, like especially in the Greek, you'll see this word. It's there's all. Let's see. The the base word here is like pharmakos. I'm not saying that right. Well, okay, I didn't write down the pronunciation, but it's something like that. And it's where we get the idea of pharmacy. It's drugs, right? So it's drugs. It's people who are doing drugs. You might think about the Indian practices that they would do drugs to have their spirit journeys. They thought they were learning something from their God by whacking themselves out on whatever drug was available, weed or whatever. Um, and the funny thing is, as I was thinking about this, Back in the 60s and the 70s, people were doing the same thing. Um, there was a group that I'm very familiar with, The Doors, who they really thought drug use was opening the door to their minds. You know what I mean? So that's uh, totally bad, totally wrong. And they were, they were way off track with that. So, so I did want to mention that drug. it's mainly related to drug use in a kind of a religious sense. Like they're trying to have a religious ritual or you can say magic or witchcraft. You know, we do have people who pretend to do that as well. Yes, did you have something? Yes. They thought they were expanding their consciousness, that they were making themselves wiser, you know, that kind of thing. And they're just killing brain cells. That's what they're doing. But Yes. They're imagining they're seeing spirits and this and that. They're just going crazy and they think it's a spiritual thing. They're just... Yeah, they were having hallucinations. If you think about the LSD crowd, they're having hallucinations thinking that's something spiritual. But just like you could have a dream about anything, that doesn't mean it's spiritual or has deep meaning. If you've ever had weird dreams, like I've had cartoon dreams. I mean, weird stuff that's just funny. You know, it, it has no real meaning, you know. Anyway, um, then there was idolaters, which is basically exactly what you would think. Um, we just need to be aware that, you know, we can accidentally make an idol out of anything. In, in their case, a lot of times in the biblical case, God is referring to actual idols that they worshipped, you know, that they, or the, or the other gods they worshipped, like in, uh, if you think of the Greek mythology and all those temples and their, their things there. Now, liars, liars is a little different because you think, well, probably at some point, most everyone has told a lie where they're, purposefully or not, but, you know, at some point. And so I, I looked at that a little further, and it's, it's not just really someone who's 
like telling a lie or has lied, but it's really, we should think of people who are very deceitful and false, like false teachers, people who are swindling you for money, preaching a gospel that is not real, encouraging you that if you send them 10 bucks, you'll get a hundred back. God is not a heavenly ATM. That's just not the way it works. And, uh, you know, all kinds of false claims and things like that, you know, they twist the word of God and they would lead people astray. They live the word of the lie. I mean, their lifestyle says lie. Their lifestyle, right. That's the idea. Their lifestyle, thank you, says it's a lie. They're just full of deceit. Everything, you know, their whole basis is deceitful. Right. So their lifestyle says basically that it's a lie. Yes. Well, that is a valid word, yeah. Yeah. Timid. Right, right. If you, uh, yeah, let's look at Romans one sixteen. right? If I got that right. Yeah, and so, and that kind of goes with this. If you think of the cowardly, someone being too afraid to stand for the Lord and for the gospel. And, and Paul says in Roman 1.16, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And then for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So yeah, that's that. that's a good way to... Try to think of fighting, fighting that fear. There, there is a certain amount of peer pressure and stuff in the world. And if you were in a crowd and they seemed very anti God in you, that might, you know, that might cause you to back down. I don't know. I, it's, I've never been in that position. So I'll be fair. Yes, ma'am. A lot of these same sins are in the list in First Corinthians 6, talking about the Corinthian Christians. And he goes on in verse 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that's the whole point. We don't want to be part of this list to go to the second death and the lake of fire. You know, Maybe we have those things in our past, but we need to be washed. And right. And, that, and that's, that's a good thing to remember, too, is that this list is very similar to the list you find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where... Paul is uh, basically saying all these people, they are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, right? But notice, we, we want to always remember in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Yes, we've all sinned and made various different mistakes that we can find on any of these lists, but if we are faithful to God and we confess our sins, he does forgive us. We can remove ourselves from that list. That's the idea. <laughs> then we can, we can continue on like we should. Does anybody have anything else on these? Uh, I guess this was another tangent of mine, but I was just interested in looking at those in depth. So let's see. We are... We got a couple of minutes. Let's let's read the next verses. Revelation chapter twenty-one. We'll, we'll look. We'll read these verses and look at a couple of the pictures here. 
this is going to be verses 9 through 21, and I'm going to stop in a couple of places. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now, again, you notice this is our artist's representation of the cube. And we have the foundation and the pearls and the walls there. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. That's paper stuck again. Oh, no, that's actually good. Okay. So, sorry. <laughs> Uh, oh, how did I have that? Maybe I have to put it back like this. Well, earlier it would have worked with me. Now it's not going to work with me. So we're going to look closer at the foundations here. Now, first of all, this is the pearl. Like we were discussing the pearly gates, and it's a pearl gate is what it is, actually. But if you'll notice the, the names, like, let's see, I think you can see it. There at the top of the arch is Judah, and then below that, I think they put it in Hebrew. And then if you'll notice all these stones, these have names. And it looks like uh, they've kind of changed some of the language around. Some of them look like they're Greek, and then some are in English. I can't tell. if I don't think any of those are Hebrew, though, from the looks of it right off. I'm not the always the best at that. But you can see the names of the foundation on these gems, which we're going to talk about more. But I want you to be able to see this foundation. And that's like, that's Matthew and Andrew and Philip. And there's, you see, James is up here. And there's Thaddeus and Matthias. Uh, well, there's James. Do we have two James? Okay. All right. And then Peter down here. Peter down at the at the very base, it looks like. Do any of these different? <laughs> do you see Pedro? Oh, I do see Pedro. Well, is that a translation of Peter in some languages? I guess it is, isn't it? Hmm. I'm, I'm not good with other languages. I'm just a dumb American. I know American. That's the end of it. So, okay. Anyway, um, so I want us to take a look into foundations, and we're going to talk about that more. But in verse 14, it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, which is what I was trying to get at here. And you'll notice that there's there's twelve gates, and, and all this relates back to either the tribes of Israel, twelve, or the apostles, twelve. So it's you're going to see a lot of twelves and a lot of relationship to that in these verses. Um, our other verse, I mean our other picture I want us to see, is we're also... Okay, that's not what I wanted. There we go. We're also going to see this angel with a measuring. I guess this is supposed to be John. That that reminds me of something, but I can't put my hand my. Anyway, it reminds me of something I saw one time. 
that because it shows John as this old, like frail looking guy. So it reminds me of I think it reminds me of a crazy movie I saw one time. It was supposed to be about John writing the revelation. Y'all may or may not have seen that. We we have watched some things that ended up not being very biblical, so I I wouldn't recommend it. Um, but anyway, so this angel we're going to, they're going to talk about here in these verses, uh, starting in verse 15. And he who talked with me had a gold reed, or rod in some places, to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Again, 12, 12,000. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. That's what makes it a cube. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits. Now, 144, that is 12 squared or 12 times 12. However you want to think of that. So realize, I'm just, this is just this connection with 12. That's, that's all. According to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. I'm not sure how that affects the measurement. There was a royal cubit mentioned that is 21 inches. The old-fashioned cubit that I'd read about before was like about 18 inches, but now I saw a, a note on this that there's a royal cubit that was about 21 inches, so I'm not going to get into that too much other than just let you know that there's a difference for some reason. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third, uh, is that chalcedony? The fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, I'm going to just go with that, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. If we go back to our pearl gate, this is really talking a lot about the foundation and the pearl gate as well. So, that's the end of our verses. Oh, I've, I've gone over to... So that's the end of our time for today, but we'll come back to these verses and we'll look at these questions starting with number 11 next week. Uh, thank you for your time and your participation.